are listening to a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. This podcast provides general market-related information and is not intended to be an investment research report. The information contained in this podcast is based on previously published material and before listening, you're advised to read the full Global Economic and Markets Research Disclaimers, which can be found at combankresearch.com.au. Welcome to the Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. My name is Belinda Allen and I'm a Senior Economist here at ComBank and today I'm joined by Gareth Ed, our Head of Australian Economics. Gareth, good to have you on. Hey Belinda, nice to chat again, albeit uh, doing it remotely this time. Yes, I think for obvious reasons given what's happening in Sydney at the moment. But we're here to talk about some call changes that we as a team have made and that's about the RBA. So just thinking back to our last podcast you and I did together, which was less than a week ago after that boomer of a labour market report, and just with that combined with the very consistent narrative we've had really since late 2020, was that we thought that inflation and wages pressure would emerge earlier than what the RBA expected. And just given what we've seen in the labour market and the broader economy, certainly uh, through 2021 has really prompted us to want to take our forecast to the next level and think about what the RBA is going to do around the cash rate. That, that's exactly right. And um, look, we've formally dropped rate hikes into our forecast profile for the economy. Um, we've got the RBA increasing the cash rate uh, for the first time in many, many years in November of 2022. Uh, so that's obviously well before their 2024 at the earliest forward guidance on the cash rate. Uh, we think they'll put a couple of uh, rate hikes uh, or deliver a couple of, couple of rate hikes at the back end of 2022 that would see the cash rate at 0.5% at the end of the year. And then we expect in 2023, um, three more 25 basis point rate hikes in Q1, Q2 and Q3 uh, that take the cash rate to 1.25%. Um, look, in, in a lot of ways, I would say that um, for anyone who's been following our work over the past six months, um, this 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 shift shouldn't come as too much of a surprise. No, no. Um, we haven't we haven't changed our narrative on the economy. Um, I mean, we've tweaked our economic forecast a little bit, but you know, we've always had a, a profile for the economy that um, is at odds with the RBA's twenty twenty four at the earliest board guidance on the cash rate. But we just didn't um, drop rate hikes in there until today. Um, and obviously, we can talk about why. But um, look, we've we've had a consistent narrative on the economy that. Uh, wages and inflation are going to lift over the next uh, uh, couple of years and that ultimately will allow the RBA to increase the cash rate. So we'll flesh out the reasonings behind it in a minute and really that's about our call on the labour market, wages and inflation. But just before we get to that, there are really two key assumptions that underpin our RBA call. Yes, oh, look, there are and they're related to um, what the government uh, really controls. So one of them is that we expect a fiscal stance to still remain stimulatory. Uh, I mean, the, the, the May budget indicates the government's still uh, expected to do that. So I think that assumption uh, is, is a pretty is one we can have pretty high conviction on. Uh, the other assumption that we've got is that when the international borders reopen, uh, net overseas immigration does not leap back to the kind of levels that it was running at pre-COVID. And I think when we go back to thinking about pre-COVID, you know, what, what were the things that were really weighing on wages mm. growth and inflation in the economy. And, and I think it was largely two things. One is that the fiscal stance of the government was contractionary. Yes. Uh, they were trying to run a surplus. Now it's the opposite. They're running very big deficits. So that 
situation has certainly changed. And the other thing is that we had very strong growth in labour market supply, mm. um, given we had a high level of net overseas immigration taking place every year. And what that meant was it was hard for skill shortages to really manifest themselves in the economy uh, because you had you know sort of so many people coming in, uh, underemployment was quite high, and that ultimately suppressed wages growth. Whereas you know, this time around, it's very different. Uh, we're expecting it to kind of remain different uh, through the second half of this year. Not obviously, um, you know, foreign borders remain closed indefinitely, and therefore no growth in labour supply. But we just don't think it will come back as strong as what it was. Uh, it's interesting. We've had some uh, state budgets out over the past week or so. We've heard from Victoria, Queensland, New South Wales and South Australia and certainly in their forecasts around population growth, it is certainly stepping up at a slower rate uh, than what we saw pre-COVID and those state budgets also remained uh, expansionary for longer as well. So just back to the labour market, obviously that uh, report that we saw uh, for May with the unemployment rate down to 5.1% as we talked about last week was certainly a stellar result. But it's not just about the unemployment rate, is it? I think what we've seen that has certainly surprised a lot of people is just how much tighter underemployment is and also when we look at unemployment and underemployment, what that means for underutilisation. And that is really what's important for wages growth in the future, isn't it? Yeah, look, absolutely. And it's a, it's a very good story. Um, you know, when, when we look back at sort of what is most correlated with wage outcomes, uh, it's not the unemployment rate. Actually, the underutilisation rate, and the reason that's most correlated with wage outcomes is you can have periods of time where you've got this sort of uh, moving spread between unemployment and underemployment, and that's what we had um, pre-COVID. You know, the unemployment rate had come down to settle close to five percent. Mm. We had this really high level of underemployment out there. There were lots of people who had jobs, uh, but they were looking for more work. And so, if you've got a lot of people looking for a lot of work, uh, that that's ultimately suppressing wages growth. Whereas what we've got now is uh, relatively low unemployment and it's still falling. Mm. But we've got an underemployment rate which is well below where it was pre-COVID and is also coming down. Uh, and that's obviously consistent with the fact there's lots of uh, available work out there because job vacancies are very high. So you then look at where underutilisation is and it's actually down at its lowest level since uh, early 2013 and it's heading lower. Um, so when we think about then what that means for wages growth, well, we're, we're pretty confident that wages growth is going to start moving higher because the labour market is going to be tight enough that um, people are either getting a, a pay rise from their um, existing employer because they have negotiated that given, um, you know, given that workers are in demand or people yep. are, are changing jobs for higher pay. Um, so, you know, that's, that's how this process always works. Our clients, as we've talked about before, our clients says that, uh, are saying to us that this is already happening um, so given the, the, the starting place and the trajectory that we're on, um, you know, we think wages growth will come through um, much earlier than the Reserve Bank expecting, is expecting. We think we get to full employment uh, around the middle of next year and that's ultimately what then means the Reserve Bank uh, starts to normalise the cash rate. So we've also, I think, given the recent performance of the labour market and our view over labour supply tweaked our unemployment rate forecast, what are they now? That's right. So we did lower them. Um, and I, I suspect everyone in the market had to, yeah. just given how strong that May employment report was. I mean, it wasn't too long ago we went out there with a forecast of an unemployment rate of 5% uh, for year end, and that yeah. felt like an ambitious call <laughs> yes. at the time. Now we're at 5.1 uh, you know, already. Well, that's right. I mean, there were, there were lingering concerns around 
how the expiry of JobKeeper yeah. may impact the economy. But you know what we know today is that in May the unemployment rate is five point one percent, and given how strong those forward-looking indicators of labour demand are, um, the unemployment rate is going to crunch through five uh, percent very quickly, um, and it, and we think it'll end the year around four and a half percent. It's a very very low rate, mm. um, and then given momentum and um, should carry on through next year. We've, we've forecasted at four percent uh, by the end of next year. So these are, you know, historically low um, uh, levels of unemployment that put upward pressure on wages. And I think um, you know, if you're going to if you're going to run economic forecasts and believe in the laws of supply and demand, you've got to lift your, your forecast for wages. And I should say our forecast for wages aren't even, I would say, particularly ambitious. I mean, we've got wages growth up towards three percent by the end of next year. I mean that. Historically, historically still not, low. Well, that, that that's right. I think um, I think we're just sort of being conditioned to thinking like low wage outcomes are entrenched mm. um, because we had them for so long. But you know, w- when we had low wage outcomes, we also had very high or elevated labour market slack. Whereas you know that that labour market slack is receding very quickly, uh, and therefore we think wages will pick up. Um, you know, th- th- there's nothing to suggest that the relationship between um, you know, labour market slack and wages has changed, and um, you know I think I think in that context we'll find that when we get to full employment, wages start to move um, to move higher. Might take a little bit of there might be some lags in the data in terms of what's actually happen, happening and when it's picked up in the wage price index. But I think um, I think we're on that that path now, and that uh, ultimately lies behind our view to put uh, hikes in the cash rate from from the end of next year. And certainly with that lifting wages, we would expect to see a bigger lift in inflation as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that, that's the way this process works. Um, you know, firms um, start to pay more for, for labour. Therefore, they start to lift the price of uh, goods and services that they're selling. Um, I mean, ultimately, you know, conditions are good if you're trying to trying to get workers. Um, and, and so as wages moves up, uh, inflation moves up as well. Again, I sort of just want to highlight: we're not forecasting any kind of radical uh, lift in inflation or wages. It's quite, uh, quite sort of modest lifts, mm. really, in the scheme of things. It's just that they look different uh, to what the Reserve Bank is forecasting. But you know, I mean, on, on our profile, um, core inflation finishes the year around one and three quarter percent, and then it's travelling at around uh, two and a quarter percent by the end of next year. And it's when you overlay that with what uh, we think wages will be doing around that time. You then get into that stage where um, where we think the RBA is normalising the cash rate. I should just add as well that um, I, th- I think that whatever actual inflation outcomes we get as measured by the CPI, they will probably understate uh, what's actually happening in the economy in terms of inflation, and that's purely because uh, the CPI is actually just based on um, a capital city inflation, mm-hmm. so it excludes regional Australia. Um, you know, prices are, are probably moving higher in regional Australia than the capital cities um, for a variety of reasons. But you know, spending, according to our data, is higher. Uh, employment growth has been stronger, and then housing rents or apartment rents, in particular in Sydney and Melbourne, are, are being falling. Um, you know, whereas th- throughout the rest of the country, in regional Australia, they're actually rising. So, I think whatever the CPI ultimately prints will understate um, actual inflation, but I still think directionally it's going to move in a way that is consistent with the RBA raising the cash rate. So we've got the RBA lifting the cash rate in November 2022 by 15 basis points to get us back to 0.25%. And then, as you said, Mm. we do have a follow-up 
rate hike in December 22 and then three more rate hikes in 2023. So we've got the cash rate back to 1.25%. Is that neutral? Well, what, what is what is the RBA's, I guess, first port of call for when they're looking at normalising interest rates? Yeah, good, good question. It's still a very, very low rate oh, yeah. Um, yeah. in a historically 1.25%. But where we've landed on that rate is basically to have a look at uh, what households are paying in terms of interest costs as a share of income, uh, which is very, very low at the moment mm. given how low interest rates have gone, uh, and basically said, well, if you know that that percent of income uh, in terms of households' um, interest repayments as a percentage of income, if that was to normalise at something, uh, you know, which travelled around a certain rate in the in the in the post mining boom sort of days around five and a quarter percent, well, what kind of cash rate would you need uh, to get that outcome? And it's a cash rate of around one and one and a quarter percent. So still very very low. And the reason for that is that households obviously carry a lot of debt today. Uh, compared with you know, where we were the last 10, 20 years. Um, but it still means that the RBA's got to lift interest rates to get um, interest costs as a share of income to some kind of normal level. And so for us, that would be the logical um, stopping point if you're starting to tighten policy. In other words, you know, any rate rises up to that point um, are not actually is not actually contractionary monetary policy. It's still stimulatory, just less so. Um, you know, it's a good stopping off point. Um, unless the only reason the RBA would go beyond that is if actually they were trying to really put the brakes on the economy. Um, but that's not our working assumption. Mm-hmm. We think they'll, they'll get to that level. Pause. Uh, you know, there's a large impact between uh, monetary policy changes and the economy, so they'll wait, wait and see how things are going. And that's a good place for us to, uh, to, to say at the moment that we think uh, where the rate hikes stop. Now, what are the risks to this? So we've talked a lot about, uh, obviously, Public policy, so reopening mm. of borders, expansionary fiscal policy. Where do where do other risks lie? Both, I guess, to the upside and the downside. There's quite a lot of risks because <laughs> there's, there's quite a lot of unknowns. COVID um, being one of them. Well, that's exactly why, and the fact that we're we're back home today, mm. uh, working from home, just highlights that um, that that risk is with us in the near term. But yeah, we can see a way out of this. Um, people are getting vaccinated every day. Um, and so as we get into next year, I mean, COVID should be a thing of the past in terms of it disrupting our day-to-day life. So we're not too worried about that really as a risk in terms of our RBA call. I think um, I think the sort of key risk really is around what the RBA can't control, mm. and that's basically decision, decisions by the government uh, around how much the government wants to spend. Mm. Uh, in other words, what is their fiscal position, and then what actually happens in terms of growth in labour market supply. Um, you know, and, I, and that can feed into the uh, call on the cash rate as a risk kind of both ways. Uh, I mean, if the government was to go uh, continue down the path they are in terms of more, more spending uh, with that labour market tightening very quickly, I mean, we could find that wages growth hits 3% by the middle of next year. Uh, you know, that's, that's obviously in our forecast, but I'm just sort of highlighting that as a risk. The risk the other way is that um, by the time we get to the point where wages growth is actually running at around 3% and the international borders have reopened, that suddenly growth in labour supply surges, um, you're, not, you're not then at full employment because people are out there looking for work and then wages growth starts to come down. Um, and that's something that I guess we don't know uh, how that's going to play out um, and we need to really watch the government uh, for their thinking there. But I think... Um, I think ultimately, if 
if the government and the Reserve Bank are truly aligned and both authorities want to see wages growth um, 3% mm. above and have the economy at full employment, then they really need to look at all the policy settings that are relevant uh, for achieving that outcome. And I think labour market supply or growth in that in labour market supply is a key input into what we end up getting. And you know, I would think that the government would be looking at recalibrating recalib- those settings around net overseas migration so that we can get to that 3% mark in wages growth and have, it, uh, have wages sustainably there. Now, before we finish up, we're less than two weeks from the all-important July board meeting, although as we've already talked mm. about, we're now looking further ahead to rate rises. But just to reiterate what we're expecting at that July board meeting, we're expecting the RBA to stay with the April 2024 bond for yield curve control. And we're also expecting a taper to its QE program. But I think that's probably the policy that's a bit more up for debate at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we think the economic backdrop is consistent with a taper. Um, I mean, it's uh, uh, we've, we've forecast a bond buying uh, extension of $50 billion, which is still a lot of uh, a bond buying, mm. especially against the backdrop of a labour market that's at its tightest level since um, 2013. But having said that, I mean, the Reserve Bank still sounds incredibly dovish. Um, you know, they but they may think that um, the path of least regret right now is just doing more rather than less on the bond buying front. So yeah, we're very much open-minded to the idea that they, they don't taper or that the tapers uh, not as much as, as we expect. But in any event, it doesn't really change our thinking on the cash rate. I mean, what they announced around bond buying yeah. will be what it is. But we still think, you know, that the rest of the macro backdrop in terms of all the stuff we've just talk, talked about uh, won't really change one way or the other um, based on what they decide with, with the bond buying program. And so we're, um, we'll be sticking with that November uh, rate hike call for 2022, uh, regardless of what they deliver at the July board meeting. Gareth, it's been great to get you to run through the changing call for the RBA. Very nice to have a chat. Now, you can read Gareth Ed's report uh, titled RBA to raise the cash rate in November 2022, published on the 23rd of June 2021 on combankresearch.com.au.